Go get him, Tiger. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. First service, he mentioned that Andrew is single. I'm not, so he had to come up with something else. <laughs> well, everyone, as Fred said, my name is Gary Smith. I'd like to welcome you all to Fellowship of Asheville this morning. A uh, couple things. One, I'm not a normal speaking pastor, obviously. Uh, that is Fred. But I would like to take a moment to thank him for the last six months of teaching and the emails and the, are you sure this is worded right? And what if I tweak this and the, the constant questions? Um, but I'd also like to thank you guys for giving me the honor and the privilege that is speaking with you this morning. Now, if this is your first Sunday here, great, welcome. But even if you've been a member here for years, I want you to pay attention. They mentioned it in the announcements to the re prayer request on the back of that Get Connected card. It is something that if you turn in, we have a team that's dedicated to praying for these every week. And so if you feel anything weighing on your heart today, I highly encourage you to write that down, turn those in. Give us a chance to come alongside you and share that burden with you. Because as a church, that's one of the things we're called to do, share one another's burdens. As Christians, we strive to be Christ-like. And Christ was the ultimate example of this. He left heaven and came down to take care of a burden we couldn't handle ourselves in sin. Sorry, I'm a bit nervous. After the minutes, sorry. And this wasn't just for a moment. He, he doesn't desire just to forgive us and move on. He's desiring to cultivate closeness with us every day and strengthen that relationship as we grow. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how cultivating closeness strengthens relationships. And we're going to do that by looking at the lives of two of God's prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and at this particular point. So if you would, I ask that you open or turn on your Bibles and join me in 2 Kings chapter 2, near the end of verse 7, and we're going to continue on to, to verse 14. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 247, or if you're using the Bible app, just click more on the bottom right corner, go to events, you can click on Fellowship Asheville, and you can follow along from there. While you're on the way there, let me give you a little bit of background. See, at this point in history, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. But both kingdoms tend to have kings whose reigns get described as so-and-so did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's not good. And so God would send prophets down to turn the hearts of his people back to him. Specifically, one prophet we're going to look at is Elijah. And he's kind of like the rock star of prophets. He comes on the scene and he's doing lots of miracles. And he's challenging the Israel's kings and the prophets of Baal. Baal's the main false god that Israel is following during this time period. For those of you kind of familiar with that kind of thing, he's the one who's usually uh, represented by the golden calf. So let's look at the end of verse 7 here. And they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. So what do we see here? A couple different things. At first, we see the parting of the Jordan River. And then we see Elijah make an offer to Elisha. So let's focus on that first part, parting of the Jordan River. What does this tell us about Elijah's relationship with God? At the very least, it shows us that he's close enough to be able to perform miracles. And that makes sense. If you look throughout 1 Kings, you get to see Elijah perform a lot of miracles. On, mul on multiple occasions, he calls down fire from heaven. He stops it from reigning in Israel for years. He even brings a woman's dead son back to life. But what gets me about this particular miracle 
is not how spectacular it is, but how casual. You see, if you think of in Scripture, other times where waters are parted, it's a big deal. When God allows Moses to part the Red Sea, it's so that the Israelites can escape from the Egyptians. When Joshua parts the Jordan River on multiple occasions, it's so that Israel can enter into the promised land. But here, Elijah and Elisha are walking along, they reach the river, and bam, Elijah parts it, and they move across. And it even says they move across on dry ground. Now, in May, it rained for like a week straight. Quick show of hands, how many of you in front of your homes had dry ground the next day? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I was stepping in mud for like a week. But here, it says where the Jordan River had been just a moment before, there was dry ground. It makes me think of when I'm watching cooking shows on TV, if there's more than one cook in the kitchen. If it's a TV show where both of those cooks are hosts, all the details are taken care of. They're moving in sync, here's this ingredient, here's this bowl, everything, it's almost like a dance. But if it's a show where both these people are contestants and they kind of get thrown together, all of a sudden it's, hey, where is that? What are you doing with that? I needed that. And you could tell there's a difference when people have spent time together. And in the relationship between God and Elijah here, we see that spending time together is one way that cultivates closeness and strengthens relationships. And this isn't just an accident. Elijah isn't just walking around and he happens to notice God doing things in his life. He's inviting him in to spend time with him. There are multiple ways that two men can cross a river. They could take a boat. They could swim across. They can walk until they find a bridge. But here, when Elijah reaches this ordinary problem, he invites God in, relies on his closeness with God to meet his everyday need. And I see this all the time. See people inviting God into their everyday lives. In fact, I can rarely get through a day without hearing someone go, OMG, over some trivial little thing in their life. Now, the odd thing is, when most people use that phrase, they're using it in vain. They don't mean it at all. It's just a filler phrase. But to Elijah, it's different. When he's inviting God into his daily life, it's to meet true needs. We see him rely on God for things like the weather, his food, providing for others. So how do we do this? How do we invite God into our daily lives? Whether you realize it or not, most of you probably already do through prayer. Whether it's praying for meals, traveling mercies, or the health of a loved one. These are times where we're spending focused on God and inviting him in. And I ask you to be intentional about those moments. My dad, when he prays, he usually finishes a little differently than most people. He always finishes every prayer with, and help us to be good witnesses for you. And especially, I remember hearing this at dinner time when we're praying over the meal, bless this food to our bodies, bless the hands that prepared it, that kind of thing. And then, and help us to be good witnesses for you. It seems like a small phrase, but it almost seems out of place at a meal. But it's his way of reminding us why we're there, why we're praying. This, there's a purpose behind spending time with God. So let's look at that last line again. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. Now the Israelites had a long history of blessing their heirs. From uh, Isaac blessing Jacob, who was stealing his brother Esau's blessing back in Genesis, to David blessing Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2. 
And these blessings tended to follow a particular pattern. The elders dying, and their heirs about to receive their inheritance, their property, their money. But in addition to that, the elders would add a blessing that was usually something like, may you have peace, long life, dominion over others, prosperity, whatever they felt was in their power to give. Or in Esau's case, they had left over. But here, Elijah does things a little different. He doesn't have vast properties or mounds of wealth to leave to Elisha. All Elisha is going to inherit is his title of lead prophet. And even his blessing's different. Instead of giving Elisha something specific, he asks Elisha what he wants. And that tells us something interesting about Elijah's relationship with God. It shows that he's trusting him to back up his promise, because otherwise this wouldn't make sense. And building trust is the second way that cultivating closeness strengthens relationships. You see, Elijah and God were extraordinarily close. Have you ever been in a situation where someone offers to help you with something and you know they don't know how to do it? If you ask them about it, they'll usually say something like, relax, I know a guy. And it tends to be true. There are certain situations in life where I know a guy. You want to go swim on a private lake? I know a guy. You want to use a canoe on that lake? I know a guy who can lend us one. You want to know if that used car you're looking at is actually a good deal? I know a guy who knows. But here, Elijah takes that one step further. It's not just, I know a guy. It's, take your problem to my guy. Mention my name, and he's going to hook you up. Because Elijah knows that God is his guy. Now, most of us probably don't speak for God in our everyday lives. I know I don't. But do you trust him? Is he your guy? Do you want someone who will love you unconditionally? I know a guy. Do you want someone who will always be there for you? I know a guy. Do you want someone to be your strength in times of weakness? I know a guy. You see, God wants to be our guy. And that relationship is strengthened when we trust him. So let's focus on what we do once we have strengthened that relationship with God when we have cultivated that closeness. The biblical response appears to be to start blessing other people. You see, this is Elijah's last miracle. He's done the crazy fire from heaven bits, but here he's asking God for a favor. Not for himself, but for a friend. You see, even before they reached the Jordan River, Elijah and Elisha were traveling around, kind of on Elijah's farewell tour. And they were traveling around Israel and stopping at these different schools of prophets. And they're much like modern-day seminaries. And at each of these stops, Elijah would turn to Elisha and say, Look, stay here. I'll keep going. Essentially giving him the school to lead. And at each point, Elisha goes, No. I'm going to keep following God, and I'm going to keep following you till I can't anymore. And it shows, by through these repeated offers... And through, even through this blessing, not only how close and how much Elijah cared about Elisha, but how important the relationship with God was together. So let's look at Elisha's response to this offer in verse 9. And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he, that's Elijah, said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And still they went on and talked. So Elisha gets offered this tremendous gift. 
he essentially gets to ask the most powerful man alive for anything he wants. Now, what would you do if you were in Elisha's situation? Remember, there's no money, there's no property here. This is gonna be something spiritual, and Elisha knows this. So do you ask for a long life, an easy life? Maybe you think of your ministry and go, I want people to just repent whenever I speak. What Elisha asks for is a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And when I was reading this passage, I was blown over by the sheer audacity of Elisha here. Again, Elijah is the most powerful prophet Israel had ever seen, and yet he goes, I want double that. If I was Elijah, I'd be rolling my eyes, tell him to get his head out of the clouds, be realistic. But he doesn't do that because Elijah knows the truth about God, that God wants our audacious requests. If we look in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, our relationship with God is not limited by him. He's infinite, limitless. It's limited by us, how close we're willing to draw to him and how much we're willing to learn. So we know this is true. We have the Bible. We can read that. But in 1 Kings, they didn't have James written down. So how does Elisha know this? Where does this audacity come from? He learned it. And he learned it from Elijah, Learning from one another is another way that cultivating closeness strengthens relationships. You see, Elisha has been following Elijah around for years. He's been listening, learning from his mentor. In fact, if you want to see audacity, look at 1 Kings chapter 18. In it, Elijah challenges 400 prophets of Baal to a contest. They build an altar, and whichever God lights the sacrifice is the true God. The short version is, Baal doesn't show. The God of Elijah does. And that's not even the audacious part. When it came time for Elijah to call on God to light the sacrifice, he has the crowd of people who are watching this contest pour so much water on top of the sacrifice that it ends up filling a trench surrounding. You see, Elijah doesn't just invite God to show up. He invites God to show off. And I think that's what Elisha's doing here. He's seen Elijah push the envelope on what the Israelites believe God can do again and again, constantly asking for the impossible. And he wants to show them how much further he can truly take that. Now, I'll be honest. This is something that I sometimes struggle with. I know that God does amazing miracles. I know that he's raised the dead, healed the blind, healed the lame, sick. But sometimes I find myself asking, well, that was a long time ago, right? Does he really do that kind of thing anymore? Elisha believed that he did. And here at Fellowship Asheville, we do too. We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the God of Elijah and Elisha is still doing amazing miracles. And my prayer is that we have the audacity to ask to be a part of that. You see, this relationship with God is something that Elijah and Elisha shared. Now, it's very easy for me, maybe this is true for you as well, but it's very easy for me to often think of my relationship with God as just that, my relationship. 
God sent his son for me. Jesus died for my sins. Now I have the Holy Spirit inside of me as my helper. And this is true. He does, and I do. But this me, me, me attitude is prideful and wrong. See, our relationship with God was never meant to just be a one-on-one relationship. We see in Ephesians chapter 5 that the relationship between the church and Christ is compared to that of a bride and groom. And yet, the individual Christian here is not named as the bride, but the church as a whole. And we see people sharing their faith throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, you have David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, Naomi and Ruth. In the New Testament, you have Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy. This is, this is just how the Christian life is meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived together. And I can say, as someone who's been a part of Fellowship Asheville for seven years now, I've been privileged to be a part of a church that does this so well. You guys love living life together. We do it all the time, not just on Sunday mornings. You've got focus groups, growth groups, serve Asheville, for Asheville, fellowship car care, fellowship kids. It keeps going, so much so that we're overflowing to the point where God has called us to have a church plant in Weaverville. That's you guys. That's you guys spending time cultivating closeness and living out your lives together. In fact, it's so much so that even now during summer, when we normally take a break from growth groups, we have tons of people signing up for and participating and leading summer get-togethers. You guys can't get enough of each other, and I love that. But as we live our lives together, you're naturally going to encounter people who who are at different stages of their faith than you. And that's okay. That's one of our responsibilities as Christians, to come alongside one another. I had a pastor in high school who put it this way. Wherever you are in your walk, you should always have someone pouring into you. And you should always be pouring into someone else. Now this is one of the ways that we as a church, and by church here I don't mean Fellowship Asheville, but as in the church, body of all believers. This is one of the ways that we as a church bless one another. By understanding our roles. When you understand your roles, you cultivate closeness and strengthen relationships. Now, do you feel this is true for you? Do you have people in these roles? Maybe this was easy. Maybe as I mentioned this, you were already thinking of the people in your life who are in these roles for you, your mentors, the people you teach. But maybe not. Maybe you were thinking, I don't know enough to share. Or maybe that I do, but no one would listen. Or maybe that there's no one available to pour into you. I ask that you take advantages of the opportunities here at Fellowship, the ones I was just talking about, because I guarantee if you dive in and really put yourself in there, you will find people who can fill these roles in your life and people who need you to fill those roles in theirs. Now, in the relationship we're looking at here, Elijah's role is that of a mentor. And what I love about Elijah's response to this audacious request is how transparent it is. He doesn't simply say, yeah, no problem. Or no way, Jose. He says, this is, you've asked a hard thing. Let's think about that for a second. This is the guy who, again, has called fire from heaven, controlled the weather. God has even used him to raise the dead. And yet he says, this, this is hard. 
Now, if I was Elijah, I'd be backpedaling real quick. I was just kidding. You, you said that's hard. I, I didn't want that. How about I just take your cloak? But he doesn't because they know another truth about God. They understand that any blessing being provided here is ultimately not from Elijah, but from God. See, Elijah understands that his role to Elisha is that of mentor, but his role to God is not. And on the other side of the coin, we see that this isn't really that big of a deal. When he knows he's not sure, Elijah doesn't drop to his knees and start begging God on behalf of Elisha's request. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to fast for the next week so we can find out. He simply says, this is a little bit too big of a thing for me to guarantee you. This is up to God. But here's how you're going to know. Gives him something specific. Elijah is so close to God that he knows what he's going to say. It's like when I was a kid and I wanted to have a friend over. I'd go to my parents and say, can so-and-so come over? The first question was always the same. Is your room clean? So I knew that if it wasn't, I shouldn't even bother to ask because I was close enough to them that I knew how they'd react in that particular situation. Elijah's close enough to know that he knows how God's going to react even in this highly unusual situation. So how would you respond to this if you were Elisha? You get asked, what do you want? You answer honestly. And you get told, maybe. Are you like me? Do you backpedal and change your mind and try to get something that you know you can have? Do you beg and plead because this is what you really want? Or do you understand that this is the way things are and move on? Let's look back at verse 11 and see how they reacted. And they still went on and talked. They went on talking. No awkward silence, no nothing. Now, I don't know what they were talking about. I don't know if Elijah was giving Elisha some last-minute advice or if they were discussing how the Lakers are going to do next season. It doesn't say. What we do know is they go from talking about what is possibly the most important thing to Elisha's future to normal conversation seamlessly. How do they do this? There are two major things hanging over their heads right now. Elijah's leaving forever. And Elisha may or may not get this incredible blessing. And yet, even this major conversation doesn't phase them. Because they know God's role. They know that he is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful. Now, we don't always know what God's going to do. And we don't always know why he does it. That's okay. That's not our role. In fact, Elijah and Elisha are really good examples here of what our role is. Our role is to listen, follow, grow with God in our relationships with him and with others. So let's look at the next part of 11 and verse 12. Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now this verse says, behold. In Hebrew, that word's hene. It means to see it. And normally, when we encounter this word in scripture, it's someone talking to someone else. 
Kind of like, behold, look at this awesome, amazing thing. And that person's there and can look. But here, it's a narrator talking to the reader. So instead of literally look at this, it's more of mentally picture this. Now, if you're like me, you're going to have trouble picturing this. So here's a couple of pictures of what people thought this might have looked like. I like this first one because it really focuses on the whirlwind of fire. You can see Elijah's cloak coming down, and you capture Elisha's reaction. But this next one, this is the one that I think of. When I, see, when I hear chariots of fire, I picture this, flaming horses, flaming chariots. Like, how is Elijah even standing on that? But even in the midst of this complete, unique event, we get to see another way that cultivated closeness strengthens relationships. Elisha shows us through valuing one another. You see, in this moment, we get to witness Elisha's mourning. Elijah's gone. He didn't die, but he's not coming back. And you hear their level, their depth of relationship, their closeness. When Elisha cries out, my father, my father. Elijah, as the head prophet, is seen as Elisha's mentor. In fact, later in 2 Kings, in chapter 6 and 13, we see the same title applied to Elisha because he becomes head prophet. It's part of the job. But at the same time, Elijah tears his clothes, a public sign that he is in mourning. This is personal for him. Because strong relationships, close relationships are mourned when they're gone. And I don't just mean when someone dies. This can happen when your friend or relative or whoever you're close to moves, changes jobs, changes schools, maybe just changes circumstances in life. That relationship changed and you grow apart. And if it was truly close, you miss that. Cultivated closeness strengthens relationships and those relationships are missed when they're gone. Now, Elijah wasn't just Elisha's mentor. He was also the greatest prophet Israel had ever seen. We recently lost one of the great Christian men of our time in Billy Graham. And there is a difference between how we mourn Billy Graham and how his family mourns Billy Graham. Because being an evangelist is so much a part of who Billy Graham was that even for his family, it's next to impossible to mourn him simply as the father or the evangelist. They have lost both their father and the evangelist. And even at this point, when Elisha probably realizes he's gotten his wish, after all, Elijah said, if you see me go, then it shall be so for you. So he's got a double portion of the spirit with which to lead Israel. And yet in this moment, he's still mourning the fact that Israel has lost Elijah. So Elijah's gone, and Elisha is seemingly alone. So let's look at the last set of verses we'll be looking at this morning, starting in verse 13. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side to the other, and Elisha went over. So Elijah leaves his cloak behind. We saw it in the picture. So apparently, you can't take it with you. Still applies if you're directly escorted to heaven. <laughs> That's good to know. 
But seriously, this cloak is important. It's not just a symbol of Elisha literally taking up Elijah's mantle. But it brings the relationship full circle. When Elijah first met Elisha, it's because God sent him out to find him and name him as his heir. And he finds Elisha working in his father's fields, and he puts this cloak around him and declares him to be his heir. Elisha's response to this is, okay, can I quickly go say goodbye to my parents first? And Elijah says, go right ahead. Jesus encounters a similar thing, but it goes a bit differently. In Luke chapter 9, verses 59 and 60, it says, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, as Fred talked about last week as we finished up our Greater Than series, Jesus is greater than family. See, Elijah, as the most powerful prophet in Israel's history, is important. Yet we see here that Jesus is greater still. You see, Elijah and Elisha spent their lives pointing people to God. And so compared to them, family is still important. But Christ died so that we could have a relationship with God. And nothing is more important than following Christ. Now, if you feel God calling you to that today, if that's not something you've already done, I encourage you, talk to someone about it. We have people in the back who want to talk to you. You can talk to any of our pastors. You can fill out a connect card. Heck, you can come talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But maybe you've already done that. Guess what? If you're a Christian, there's nothing more important than following Christ. That hasn't changed. This cultivating closeness and desire to strengthen relationships is literally why we're here. So when we see this staff, or this cloak, sorry. When we see this cloak, and Elijah's picking this up, he's not just seeing it as Elijah's approval of him. He's seeing that this was God's plan all along. And he realizes that. And when he gets to the river, he cries out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Strikes the water, and God shows up and parts it. So at the very least, that's good. We know he actually got this blessing that he was asking for. He has the powers. He's doing the miracles. But what gets me here is that he names God twice. First, he calls him Lord. Hebrew, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. This is the name that God gave himself when Moses asked, who should I say sent me? And then he also calls him the God of Elijah. Now, this first one's common. We see God called this throughout Scripture. But the second one is unique. This is the only spot in Scripture that we hear God called the God of Elijah. Usually, if God's name is the God of an individual, it's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and or Jacob. So what Elisha's doing here is he's putting Elisha's faith up on the same level of those of the founders of his people. You can see here just how much Elijah's faith truly affected Elisha's. And in it, we see the final way we're going to address today about cultivating close to strengthening relationships. Through seeking God together. And seeing God in one another. And so what does this look like for us? Who are the people in your life who do this for you? Who are the people that you see so much of God shining through them that it affects how you view God? At different times in my life, this has been a variety of different people. Not all of these people have been close to me. 
Not all of these people have been Christian. In fact, not all of these people have even been real. Let me explain. When I was a kid, it was very easy for me to relate to God as father. That was a concept that was taught that I got. I've been blessed with a lot of positive Christian authority figures in my life. And so relating to God as a father was easy. But another thing I heard a lot but didn't quite understand was the idea of God as a friend. I didn't understand that. I couldn't understand what that looked like, so I couldn't model it in my own life. Until I saw the movie, The Fiddler on the Roof. In that movie, there's a Jewish milkman named Tevye who spends the entire movie talking to God. And when he does it, he talks to him like a friend while still remaining reverent. And I want to cultivate closeness with the God of Tevye because I want to see God as my friend, someone I can go to no matter what. I want to cultivate closeness with the God of David Smith, my grandfather, because I want God to be life-changing in my life. And I want to cultivate closeness with my friend, Andrew Neighbor, because I want God's love and grace to always excite me. Now, these are not three different gods. We have one God, but I see three different aspects in him explained through other people. I want you to look around. Here at Fellowship Asheville, we have some truly amazing people who have truly amazing aspects of God shining through them. And I want you to look at the people in your life who you have relationships with, who you see God in, and use these tools to help cultivate closeness with them. Are you spending time with them? Do you trust them? Do you value them? Are you learning from one another? Are you seeking God together? You see, any relationship can be strengthened. And I'd encourage us to utilize these tools to cultivate closeness with Christ and with anyone he puts on our hearts. Let's close in prayer.